20. No more courtesy, to such an extent as to cause comment by both soldiers and natives. Now as to the colored citizen of this country coming to its defense there is no question, as he has always done so but, to use a late phrase, he is beginning to want his place in the sun, he wants a chance to arise on his merits and to know when he shoulders a gun, that if he is deserving of it, he will have a chance to arise, he can fight and will, but will fight better with an incentive than without one, he is a citizen regardless of all laws to the contrary, also he is the new negro, and not of the Uncle Tom class, the passing of whom so many white citizens regret, he reads your literature, attends your theaters, goes to your schools, observes you in his capacity as a waiter or porter, and is absorbing the best you have in the ways of civilization, and in fact, in every walk of life, he is a factor, and when he is asked to defend his country should he not be given the same chance as the white man, you will say that he should go to a West Point, well and good, but who is to send him, next, who will defend him while they're against the unwritten law of the white students not to allow him to matriculate, the first officers of such regiments could be easily picked, made from Spanish war veterans and non-commissioned officers of the regular army, and second lieutenants from graduates from colleges giving military training. Such an organization officered in this manner would be ideal. Speaking from my experience as a veteran of the Spanish war, one thing you may have overlooked, we are 12 million in this country, with an estimate of a million men fit for service. Suppose at such a crisis as is now transpiring in Europe, this country, with its millions of foreign citizens, should suddenly find itself face to face with a revolution. The presence and loyalty of these million Negroes might mean much for the stability of this government. I have spoken plainly because I am a citizen, this is my country. I was born here, and shall at all times be found with the flag, hence I ask, that in your recommendations, looking to the betterment and enlargement of the army, you give the black patriot such consideration as I cannot but feel is to him, the thousands of young colored men who have passed through colleges and schools in an effort to prepare themselves for filling a place in the world, I am opposed to segregation, but as it seems, under the present conditions of the races socially to be the only way to a square deal, I accept it, there are Irish regiments, German regiments, etc. Let us then have Negro regiments, the coming generations will look after the rest, I am, very respectfully, RP Roots 426th Avenue North, Lake Capt, 8th Hill, Volume Infantry, Seattle, Wash, November 9th, 1915, Han Joseph Tumulty, Secretary to the President, Washington, D.C. Dear Sir, I am enclosing a copy of a letter sent to the Secretary of War, which I would be very much pleased to have you call the President's attention to, and ask if he can approve of it. I was not fully informed as to the President's policy in regard to Haiti at the time of writing, and am not now, except through such information as received by the daily press, taking that, in the main as authentic, I wish to add that I think a brigade of colored troops, such as recommended in my letter to the Secretary for Foreign Service, would be the proper thing for Haiti, it being a Negro Republic, the racial feeling as to the Negro's treatment in this country, which I need not mention has been enlarged upon and not understood by the Negroes of other parts of the world, so that as it seems to me, to organize a constabulary officered by white Americans, would be inviting murder, for agitators from other governments, if they so desired, would soon cause a rebellion, and then you would have it all to do over again, colored troops from this country, I mean officers as well, would tend to cause a good feeling among the natives, 
not at first but later on as each became used to the other, the white man thinks he is superior to any Negro, and would show it even though he tried not to, and the Haitian would be going around with a chip on his shoulder looking for someone to knock it off. You had three men in the regular army who could supervise the organization of these troops, and one who was already a colonel of the 8th Illinois National Guard, also several others if you wish to consider them, hoping that you will see the advisability of such an organization for diplomatic reasons and for justice to the American Negro who has been loyal and served from Bunker Hill until now. I am, very respectfully, R.P. Roots, 426th St. N. Seattle, Wash, Lake Capt. 8th Illinois Volunteer Infantry during Spanish War. As touching upon the above, Editor E.S. Abbott of the Chicago Defender, made the following comment, There may be reasons deemed good and sufficient upon the part of President Wilson and Secretary Garrison for not having replied to the very courteous and finely conceived letters of appeal and suggestion, having to do with a new deal with justice and fair play in the future towards the Negro soldiery of our country, written them some weeks ago by C.A.P.D. R.P. Roots of Seattle. It is not always neat, especially in times like these, of war and stress, of worries and apprehension, reaching across the world, for our rulers and servants facing great responsibilities and perplexing situations, to respond to every query and satisfy all curiosities, much reticence must be permitted them, much accepted, as a matter of course, without pursuing curiosity to the limit, there may be ideas conveyed by Captain Roots to the President through his communications to secretaries Garrison and Tumulty that some people may not agree with, but there can be no disagreement over the proposition that the lot of colored soldiers in the armies of the United States in the past, and at the present, is much different than that accorded to white soldiers, very little to really be proud of, very, very much to be ashamed of much that is humiliating and depressing, because the present administration may be powerless in the matter, afraid to touch it, fearing a live wire or something of that kind, should our duty in the premises, toward our own, be influenced thereby, I wonder is the time not now right now, to commence an attack upon this entrenched scandal this dirty, humiliating Americanism, no other nation on earth, Christian or pagan, treats its defenders, its soldiery, so meanly, so shabbily, as does this, her black defenders, but whether the nation is more to blame, than we, who so long have submitted without a murmur, is a question, the trouble shouted Cassius to Brutus, is not in our stars, that we are underlings, but in ourselves, shall we, responding to the initiative furnished by Captain Roots, commence an organized assault upon this national vice against the soldiers of our race, is this the time, readers of the Defender, is this the time, brothers and editors of the contemporary press, R.S. Abbott, following in the footsteps of Captain Roots, Apparently obsessed by the same vision and spirit, Mr. Willis O. Tyler, eminent Los Angeles race representative, attorney and Harvard graduate, also makes a plea for justice for Negro troops in the regular army, also for Negro officers, and proposes reforms and legislation for utilizing the present force of Negro officers, and creating enlarged opportunities for others, says Mr. Tyler, officers in the regular army for the most part, are graduates of West Point. They are commissioned second lieutenants at graduation. No Negro has graduated from West Point in the past 29 years, and none has entered there in 32 years. Call. Charles Young graduated in 1889, 29 years ago. He entered in 1884. Henry W. Holloway entered in 1886, but attended only that year. In Hall. 
Only twelve Negroes had ever attended West Point and only three had graduated. Of the three graduates, the first, Henry O. Flipper 1877 was afterwards discharged. The second, John H. Alexander 1887 died in 1894. The third and last graduate, Charles Young 1889 has but recently been returned to active duty. We understand he has attained the rank of Colonel. The Negroes of the United States, to the number of 12 millions, have only one West Point graduate in the regular army. There are however four regiments of colored troops, two of infantry, and two of cavalry, and these have been maintained for 52 years, since 1866, and more than 200 officers find places in the four colored regiments. These 200 officers, with about three exceptions are white officers, in Hall. Only 12 Negroes have held commissions in the regular army. Of this number 7 were chaplains and 2 were paymasters. In 1917 there were 2 first lieutenants, and then Major Charles Young in the regular army. Hence only 2 officers of the line and only 1 of the staff other than chaplains. Out of more than 200 who found places with the 4 colored regiments. We need not stop for the reasons why Negroes have not been attending West Point. Nor even admitted there for the past 32 years. Certain it is they have not been attending the nation's great military school, and certain it is that in law, good conscience and right, one cadet at West Point in every twelve should be a Negro. The future lies before us. The four regiments of colored troops have vindicated their right to be maintained as such by having made for the army some of its finest traditions. Why not have the four colored regiments officered by colored men from the colonel down to the second lieutenants? The United States is just making an end to a glorious participation in the Great World's War. In this war the Negro soldiers played well their part. They laughed in the face of death on the firing line. They have been awarded the ribbon and the croix de guerre with palms. Who were their officers? From the officers training camp at Fort Des Moines, Iowa, 639 colored men were commissioned. Since then 267 more have been commissioned. Not counting those in Medical Reserve Corps nor the 41 chaplains, colored captains and lieutenants led colored soldiers over the top and commanded them on march and in trench. Many officers were given but three months in the officers' training camp, many of them had served as non-commissioned officers in one of the four colored regiments, but not one word of criticism or complaint of them has reached us. Their adaptability to their new duties is beyond cattle. Their efficiency, bravery leadership, are all unquestioned and permanently established. The future lies before us. What will our country do? Surely it will not retire all of these fine young colored officers, who responded so nobly to the call of their country, to private life and continue the discrimination which in the past deprived them of admission to a West Point and of commissions in the regular army. I do not believe it. I believe that the sense of justice and fair play is deeply rooted in the American people. I believe that our four colored regiments in the regular army will in the future be officered by colored men that the doors of West Point will be opened in accordance with justice and fair play to a proper number and proportion of colored cadets. But this is not all nor is it enough. We believe that at present the nation owes the colored people certain legislation and that the nation being solvent and loud in its protestations of kindness toward the colored people for their loyal and patriotic participation in the war both at home and on the battlefield should now pay its debt toward the colored people and reward them to the extent that the best of the nearly 1,000 officers now serving in the National Army be transferred to the regular army, and assigned to duty in the four colored regiments, and that these be from colonel down to second lieutenants. 
we also believe that in the future West Point and Annapolis should lend a little color to their graduation exercises in the presence of colored graduates. No doubt legislation will be needed to this end, that present commissions are granted first to the graduates of West Point, and even a fair and more liberal policy in this regard in the future will not meet present needs. What is needed now is legislation providing for the transfer or at least the opportunity to enter into the regular army of a sufficient number of our colored officers now with commissions to officer in total the four colored regiments we now have. Commissions are also granted at present to a limited number of enlisted men who are recommended for these examinations, and who succeed in passing. The candidates must be under 27 years of age and unmarried. They must have had a certain amount of secondary school or college education which few privates or non-coms colored have had. This is the case because few young colored men with the necessary growth single blessedness, and college training, feel, or have heretofore felt that the door of equal opportunity announced by Mr. Roosevelt stands open to them in the regular army, to trust the officering of four colored regiments to the second mode of selecting and commissioning officers, would prove fatal to our hopes and fail of accomplishment. The third method of selecting officers at present is by examinations of civilians, certain college presidents and other civilians being permitted to recommend certain civilians, students and others for examination for second lieutenants. In this regard Negroes have met the same difficulties that they have encountered in the past 32 years in their efforts to gain admission to a West Point. At best only a small percent of each year's graduating class from West Point can get commissions in this manner. Those selected have been white men. What we are after now is a present-day, practical way of utilizing the best material we now have, holding commissions and making secure the opportunity for other colored men to enter the army as second lieutenants and by dint of industry, close application, obedience, brains and time gain their promotion step by step, just as white men have been doing and can do now. This is the American Democratic, fair play, reward and justice we seek for the 12 million Negro citizens of our great republic. Congress could if it would, provide for the present by an appropriate measure giving the right and opportunity to our returning officers to stand examination for commissions in the regular army, military experience and knowledge, and general and special educational qualifications to determine the rank or grade received. In this way our four colored regiments could be officered by colored men. Otherwise, the fine talents and desire for service to the country held by the 1,000 intelligent and courageous young Negroes who are officers, will be lost and rejected by the country, and the 12 million Negroes in the United States will continue, notwithstanding their patriotism and devotion, to be denied of their just representation in commissions in the regular army. We believe that once this is done the sense of fairness and justice that, after all is said and done is so firmly embedded in the American people will see to it that our proper and proportionate number of young colored men are admitted to a West Point and Annapolis annually and that the other avenues for gaining admission in the Army and Navy will not be blocked, closed and denied Negroes by the unreasonable race prejudice which has heretofore done so. Our country is either a country of equal opportunity or it is not. It is either a democracy or it is not. Certainly the Negroes have failed to realize this equal opportunity in the matter of training at West Point and Annapolis and is gaining commissions in the regular army. The great war in Europe is closed or soon will be. We have again shown our country that our hearts are on the right side. What will our country do for us? We ask only that the door of equal opportunity be unbarred that we may enter, said Colonel Charles Young. USA touching upon the same subject, I affirm that any system of school saying to students of any race, 
Thus far shalt thou go and no farther, is flinging a lie in the face of God. The ability and willingness of the government and its people to fit the Negro into the body politic with all the rights, privileges, and immunities of a full-fledged American will be the test before the world which knows and sees the relations and acts of the individuals and states of the United States. Human equity and a respect for law and truth must be sacred with us. The spirit of America is the square deal and fair play. This granted as an American principle. The Negro people of the United States demand to know whether the sweeping generalization of lack of leadership and the capacity of the Negro officer was derived by a consultation of the War Department, the press, both white and Negro and the reports of impartial officers. The black officer feels that there was a prejudgment against him at the outset and that nearly every move that has been made was for the purpose of bolstering up this prejudgment and discrediting him in the eyes of the world and the men whom he was to lead and will lead in the future. Remembering the multitude of the Croix de Guerre and citations on the breasts of the returning Negro officers and the distinguished service crosses to boot, the Negro officer is smiling, not discouraged with himself and is still carrying on for the flag the country where he was born and where the bones of his fathers are buried, and for the uplift and leadership of his people for a more glorious Americanism. History tells us that on the continent of America that to St. Louverture, who with a leadership that no man ever surpassed and who rooted the best troops of Napoleon Bonaparte, was a pure Negro and a slave until after fifty years old, Major Martin Delaney was a pure Negro, and many others that can be mentioned were pure Negroes. Ex-party judgments will not go in the future history, for the black man will not only act his history but he will write it, and be it said that he knows history methods, and that with him they are not those which come from the heat of prejudice and a direct and concerted attempt to discredit any group of American people, and patriotic and unwarranted statements to no good and lull the country to sleep, and throw it off its guard while the effects of these statements are causing just rankling in the breasts of the Negro people who have had a new vision. The Negro officers know the psychology of their own race and also of the white race, but it is to be feared the latter will never know the mind and motive forces of the Negro, if he imagines that his group has not had a new birth in America, whose language it speaks, whose thought it thinks for its own betterment, and whose ideals, both social, political, and economic it emulates. Chapter XXXIII The New Negro and the New America, the Old Order Chaweth, Yielding Place to New through the arbitrament of war, behold a new and better America, a new and girded Negro, the watches of the night have passed, the watches of the day begin, out of war's crucible new nations emerge, new ideas seize mankind and if the conflict has been a just one, waged for exalted ideals and imperishable principles and not alone for mere national security and integrity, a new character, a broader national vision is formed, such was the result of the early wars for democracy. The seeds of universal freedom once sown, finally ripened not alone to the unshackling of a race, but to the fecundity and birth of a spirit that moved all nations and peoples to seek an enlarged liberty. The finger of disintegration and change is never still, is always on the move, always the old order is passing, always the new, although unseen of man, is coming on, and so an island that nations are still in the throes of reconstruction after the great war that it was the greatest and most terrible of all wars, increases the difficulties incident to the establishment of the new order, precedent to a restoration of tranquil conditions, so radical were some of the results of the conflict, such as the overthrow of despotism in Russia, and a swinging completely to the other extreme of the pendulum, similar happenings in Germany and Austria transpiring, that subject peoples in general, 
finding themselves in possession of a liberty which they did not expect and were not prepared for, are in a sense bewildered, put to it, as to just what steps to take, the wisest course to pursue. At home we have a nearer view and can begin to see emerging a new America. The men who fought abroad will be the dominant factor in national affairs for many years. These men have returned, and will return with a broadened vision and with new and enlarged ideas regarding themselves and, quite to be expected, of progress and human rights. With the leaven of thought which has been working at home, added to the new and illuminating, more liberal viewpoint regarding the Negro attained by the American whites who served with him in France, will come, is already born, a new national judgment and charity of opinion and treatment, that will not abate, will grow and flourish through the coming years, a belated sense of justice and restitution do the Negro, a most wholesome sign of shame and repentance upon the part of the nation, the old order based on slavery and environment, the handicap of previous condition, has passed will never return, that, or the, fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man, island and always was, an iridescent dream, a barren ideality. The new America owes much of its life to the Negro, guaranteed through centuries of a devotion, than which, there has been nothing like it, you seek in vain for a counterpart, a patriotism and suffering and shed blood, the splendor and unselfishness of which will germinate and flower through the ages, as long as history shall be read, to the last moment of recorded time, in days to come. Now on the way, men will say, one to another, how could it have been that those faithful blacks, those loyal citizens, whose toil enriched, whose blood guaranteed the perpetuity of our institutions, were discriminated against wronged, in a country based and governed on the principle that all men are free and equal. Discrimination or special privilege will eat at the heart of national life. Capital must not have special advantages over labor, neither labor over capital. Jew and Gentile, Protestant and Catholic, Negro and white men, must be equal not alone in the spirit of the law but in the application of it, not alone in the spirit of industrialism, commerce and ordinary affairs of life, but in their interpretation and application as well. Social discriminations and distinctions may prevail with no great danger to the body politic, so long as people do not take them too seriously do not mistake the shadow for the substance, and regard them the paramount things of life. Obviously the Negro no less than the Caucasian, has a right and no government may challenge it, to say who his associates shall be, who he shall invite into his house, but such rights are misconstrued and exceeded when carried to the point of proscribing, oppressing or hampering the development of other men, regardless of the nationality of their competitors, the logical growth of achievement for the Negro is first within the lines of his own race, but, all things being equal, genius being the handmaiden of no particular race or clime, he is not to be hindered by the law of the land, the prejudice of sections or individuals, from seeking to climb to any height, the bugbear and slander, raised and kept alive by that section of the land south of the imaginary line, to wit, that the Negro was ambitious for racial equality, only is entitled to a reference in these pages for the purpose of according it the contempt do it, that the whites of the country had not a complete monopoly of those unpleasing creatures known as tuft hunters and social climbers, is no doubt true, but that the Negro, as represented by intelligence and race pride, ever worries over it, cares a rap for it, is not true. Humanity's great benefit coming from the war, which cannot be changed or abridged, will consist of a newer, broader sense of manhood, a demand for the inherent opportunities and rights belonging to it, for all men of all colors, of all climes, and beyond that, 
of more significance, as marking the dawn indeed of a new and better day, will be a larger, juster sense, springing up in the nation's heart, watered by her tears, of repentance of past wrongs inflicted on the Negro. The Negro will become the architect of his own growth and development. The South will not be permitted, through the force of national opinion, to continue to oppress him. The talk of the revival of Catholic societies to intimidate the Negro, to keep him in his place, is the graveyard yawp of a dying monster. Are the thousands of Negroes who faced bullets in the most disastrous war of history, and several hundred thousand more who were ready and willing to undergo the same perils, likely to be frightened by such a threat, such an antiquated, silly, short-sighted piece of injustice and terrorism? Men's necessities force a resort to common sense, racial prejudice and ignorant, contemptible intolerance, must disappear under, and before the presence of the renewal of business activity in the South, and the necessity for Negro labor, each soldier returning from Europe is a more enlightened man than when he went away, he has had the broadening effect of travel, the chance to mingle with other races and acquire the views born of a greater degree of equality and more generous treatment. These men desire to remain in their southern homes. Climatically they are sweet and the country offers them employment to which they are accustomed, but more than all, it is home, and they are bound to it by ties of association and affection, with a mutual desire of whites and blacks to achieve an end. Common sense will find a basis of agreement. The Negro will get better pay and better treatment. His status accordingly will be improved. His employer will get better service. He also will be broadened and improved by a new spirit of tolerance and charity. Cooperation among the white and black races received a decided impetus during the war. A movement so strongly started is sure to gather force until it attains the objects more desirous of accomplishment. Some of these objects undoubtedly are far in the distance, but will be achieved in time. When they are, the Negro will be far advanced on the road of racial development. The day has dawned and the start has been made. Before the new time. America will be prouder of her Negro citizens and will be a happier, a more inspired and inspiring nation, a better home for all her people. One of the results of the war will be an improvement in the government and condition of Negroes in Africa. Exploitation of the race for European aggrandizement is sure to be lessened. No such misgoverned colonies as those of Germany will be tolerated under the new rule and the new spirit actuating the victorious allies. Evils in other sections of that continent will disappear or receive positive amelioration. The most hopeful sign in America is the tendency in some sections where trouble has been prevalent in the past, to meet and discuss grievances. In some sections of the South, men of prominence are exhibiting a willingness to meet and talk over matters with representatives of the race. Such a spirit of tolerance will grow and eventually lead to a better understanding, perhaps a general reconciling of differences. Many concessions will be required before complete justice prevails and the Negro comes into his own, before the soil can be prepared for the complete flowering of his spirit, primarily, before attaining to the full growth and fullness of the citizen under the rights guaranteed to him by the Constitution. The Negro, especially in the South, will require better educational facilities. If he is to become a better citizen, he must have the education and training necessary to know the full duties of citizenship. He pays his share of the school taxes and it is manifestly unjust to deny him the accruing benefits. He is ambitious to, and should be encouraged to own land, and to that end should have the assistance without prejudice or discrimination, of national and state farm loan bureaus, and just suffrage restrictions must and shall be removed, giving to the Negro the full rights of other citizens in this respect, with better educational facilities and the ownership of real estate. 
he will vote more intelligently, and there will be no danger that his vote will be against the interests of the country at large or the section in which he resides. The withering taint of Jim Crowism must be obliterated, white doubt will be. Railroads will be compelled to extend the same accommodations to white and colored passengers. The traveler, whatever his color, who pays the price for a ticket, must and shall in this land of equality and justice, be accorded the same accommodations, peonage, so-called, will, 